everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real-life rescues uh, from the fire ground to you firsthand from those involved. I'm your host today, Grant Schwalbe, and today with me, I've got a firefighter from a big metro department, and he's going to talk about a grab that they had uh, back in 2017. Uh, so welcome. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, the makeup of your department? Yeah, sure. I've um, been in the fire service since 98. I uh, try not to do the, the math in public, uh, but I've been with this organization for the past 12 years. Um, came from a combination department, smaller department, prior to the joining this fire, this fire department. My fire department is about 33 engines and 12 truck companies, uh, four-person staffing on all the apparatus. What do you guys normally get on a structure fire, on like a residential a residential fire we get we don't really have a different run card for residential single family house or apartment building we get five engines and three trucks on everything yeah with the exception of high rise we get more obviously but um single family or uh, mid-rise low rise we'll get five engines three trucks rehab and support units two chiefs and a safety chief in addition to that so with all those resources coming, how do you guys divvy up uh, tasks? Is it pre-arrival assignments or or what? Yeah, based on what apparatus you're on and, and what order you arrived uh, dictates your yeah, what you're what you're doing operationally. So who's doing searches for you guys? Um, the first truck or trucks are typically responsible for the searching, but the engine companies after we typically team engines to make the stretch and the second engine that's on the line after the lines in place will peel off and search. Uh, but the trucks are responsible for, for search. So the inside team of the truck will, will handle and the outside team will try to come from a different angle to, uh, accomplish the same task of searching. What you, you talked about inside and outside team. Can you explain that a little bit more? Cause that's not a concept that a lot of guys have experience with. Yeah, we uh we split uh, inside and outside where two members will go inside and uh, try to you know get a search completed from the inside and the outside team will try to accomplish the same thing just coming at a different angle in case you know you don't have access to the stairs or for whatever reason you can't make the stairs or find the stairs or corridor conditions or something that we're we're attacking the problem from a different angle. Now, when you guys are doing your searches, what are you guys typically taking in tool-wise? Uh, minimum tools for a, a search are a set of irons, a tick, uh, a hook, and a pump can, and obviously battle liners, flashlights. The, uh, now, how you're accomplishing your search. In your area, what's, what's prominent? Are you guys uh, split searching, oriented searching? Uh, all the above, you know, there's situations in crew, crew dependent. Some people are more comfortable with the um, traditional uh, team search. Some people are, uh, really enjoy the oriented, you know, man uh, search where you have one member maintaining orientation and the second member really doing all the work. And then you have some companies that have worked together for a long time that'll split. The most common is probably, I would say, the, just a, a two-person uh, search where one, one one person is is searching but still maintaining kind of a hybrid of the the split search and the oriented man search uh, where one person is kind of 
maintaining orientation of the, the progress of the search and the fire conditions and where the, what the hose line is doing and uh, just the other person is doing most of the grunt work. You know, both both members are always searching. So I think that's probably the most most common. Gotcha. Why don't you take us back to 2017 and, and talk about this run? Uh, 2017, August, came in at 1,500 hours, 1,519 hours. Uh, I was working off shift on a truck company in a kind of a, a densely populated area of the city. Uh, we get dispatched to a, a full response, which gets us that right out the gate, gets us all, you know, the full box or the full uh, alarm assignment of the fire engines and three trucks. Uh, the, the, the fire building's right down the street from the firehouse. It's a three-story, ordinarily constructed, U-shaped apartment building, you know, medium to larger size footprint, good size building. Dispatch was 15, 19 hours. I'm looking at my notes here and the arrival time was 15:22 for the first uh, engine truck in chief all came out of the same house right down the street. So a uh, pretty good response time. And it's nice to have the engine truck and chief all, all arrive at the same time. So everything kind of lined up nice there. Uh, as we're pulling up, I, I see we're pulling up from the Bravo side of the building. And so I get a good, a pretty good visual out the window of a uh, good smoke condition coming out of, I would say like the, the left wing of the U, right? Like the front doors at the front alpha side of the building. And I see a pretty good smoke condition coming from it. What I thought was a, maybe a light shaft or a, a window well uh, coming from the roof, pretty dark pressurized smoke. So I thought, you know, I had pretty good read on where the fire's at, or at least what side of the building the fire's on. So I was, um, I was, you know, there's, it's always nice when you, you know, you can kind of pinpoint what where you're where you're heading when you're getting off the truck. Um, so I hopped off. Uh, our officers don't have uh, packs in their seat, so you know when you're riding number three uh, in our system, you usually get a pretty good jump. So I got up to the front of the building and, you know, the, the stoop or the front stairs of the apartment building, the front front door was up like maybe 10 or 12 stairs. And I just grabbed a, you know, the engine is already making their stretch. So I grabbed a section of two and a, or a, a flake of two and a half and kind of pulled it up into the lobby for them to try to help them uh, advance that line or get that line in position. And uh, I looked out the back window and the, uh, the entrance and I, I looked up and saw the a window break and the window fail and and pressurized smoke come out but it came out on the right side of the the building wing you know like i'm looking through the through the throat of the building looking up um like inside of the view and the fire vented out of a window that was opposite of where i saw the smoke coming from when i was pulling up so i thought oh man it's already in the cock loft and uh i was like this is gonna this is gonna you know be kind of a long day a uh, hot summer day with fire already in the cock loft. And um, so when I saw that, I, I kind of stepped out like a couple feet back onto the porch or the front uh, deck of the, the entrance, the stoop of the, the building. And I, I kind of signaled to the chief that I gave him like the two fingers, like 211, which is our kind of language for uh, the second alarm. Um, because I thought, yeah, like if that's already in the cock loft, we're going to, it's going to go to 211 right right out the gate. So, and I was trying to get an, an idea where the officer, you know, if, where he if he was coming up the stairs or not. I didn't see the the boss, and I signaled to the chief 211, and and turned around and went up the stairs and uh, passed the engine 
on the on floor one and I think they were starting to kind of flake out some line on floor two and I just went up to floor three and I remember I just put my face piece on this uh, at the top of the stairs because they had a pretty good smoke condition in the hallway on the top floor floor three uh, so I put my face piece on real quick and kind of slid down the, uh, the hall to my left kind of I'll try to locate the the unit I got to the first door and it was closed uh, in the hallway and I kind of kept scooting down the hallway and I found a door that was cracked open that uh, smoke was pumping out of so I figured that was that was the one and I made note like I, I kind of picked up like I could see the window at the end of the hall that was another 15 feet down or so so it kind of gave me a little bit of a an indication what the layout of the unit was right like if I know that you got the two doors stacked right there that uh, kind of gives you an idea which direction to head when you get into the unit push the door open a little bit and there was a, a fair amount of debris like behind the door and I, I thought oh yeah I got somebody right here I thought it was a person right up against the door and turns out it was kind of I wouldn't quite call it hoarder conditions yet but it was definitely like on its way to hoarder conditions like you know you had about a foot and a half or two feet of debris on the floor uh, so it made searching kind of kind of difficult I made getting the door open difficult and I was pushing on the door to to get in and um and at this point I had you know a little bit of fire coming out of the top of the right at the right at the entrance of the door and it was kind of a weird uh layout where I guess the best way I can describe it is there's a, a closet right on the entrance of the apartment unit, right to the right of the door, the front door. There was a closet that had fire coming out of the closet. I thought, oh, it's just, just like a little closet fire. This candle handle this, no problem. So I put a little bit of water on the on that fire and kind of pushed it back into the closet. Then I realized there was kind of a Jack and Jill closet where the closet served a bedroom and the entrance. So it's kind of weird. So it was fire that was in the bedroom extending into the closet and then coming out of the front door of the unit which was a little unusual um so i i put a little bit of water on it and kind of pushed in a little bit and uh and i started getting a little confused because i uh they had some pocket doors that separated the living room from the bedroom like you know this is a 1920s or 19 you know the teens building where you had wasn't uncommon to have these big pocket doors that separated the bedroom to the living room and in these pocket doors they had a you know, glazing, you know, floor to ceiling, the whole door was basically uh, little panes of glass. And I saw a fire coming out of that room that looked like when I was in the living room, looked like I was a uh, fire coming in from the window. So I thought for a minute that we might have fire on the floor below us that was auto extending to the floor three and coming in. But it wasn't making sense because I, before I made entrance into the unit, I saw that the hallway went another 15 feet. So it took me a minute. It kind of threw me off a little bit to kind of get my head wrapped around the layout, which I thought I had a pretty good handle on the layout. And then when I saw fire coming through that pocket door, which I thought was a window, I got a little kind of turned around a little bit. But so I put a little bit more water on that. Uh, that fire is kind of coming all over my head a little bit. And I tried to push it back. I was like, well, I don't have much time. And, you know, I, I knew the engine that was uh, on scene with this was, you know, a top shelf engine probably you know one of the better engines in the city not even I mean not probably like easily one of the better engines so I had some pretty good confidence that I was like oh those guys will be here any second now I can I can make a quick search of this this at least this living room area and they'll probably be you know at the door by by the time I get get there and then I'll just finish the search in the kitchen and the bedroom uh, whenever they get get water on this 
so I knew my time was kind of running out because I didn't want to use the whole can. Um, I wanted to save a little bit, but the can wasn't, it was buying me a little bit of time, but it wasn't, you know, great. So I started, I just was thinking, I'd just do a quick, like, not quite a defensive search, but a little bit of a modified, like, down and dirty. I'm just going to cover as much area as I can and get out because it's and close that door and wait for the engine and then kind of follow them in. So I, uh, I started, you know, making my way to the left after I kind of put some water on that, that fire. And, and then I heard something as I'm crawling over, I heard a little kind of a cough or like a gasp or some, some kind of like sound. I was like, so I kind of changed my direction and basically I was right on top of her. I, I saw her face. I'm like, Oh, here, here we go. So I, you know, dropped the can and, grabbed her by the wrist and started I started to get up like a little bit like kind of duck walk out and got a little hot and kind of burned my ear a bit and kind of hunkered back down and just decided to kind of use my body weight to kind of lean you know grab her wrist and, and fall back and try to pull and uh, by the time I got to the front door of the unit after I'd say about you know 12-15 feet um, they had a pretty fair amount of fire coming over our head and got her out to the unit out of into the public hallway as the engine was filling their lineup and this kind of large mammal that was on the engine that day, I just handed her off to him. He was like, Oh, okay. And then he just grabbed her and you know, she was gone. And I was pretty, pretty happy to see him. Cause I mean, he's just a large, strong human. Um, and so he, he took over and I just grabbed the line and, and put some water that was back at the doorway, made a quick hit. And then uh, the guy, the nozzleman, which is very atypical for our, our organization to give up a line. But, you know, when I'm handing them a, a person, he didn't really give me any kind of resistance. And he handed her off to the uh, officer in the truck and the second engine that was kind of coming up the stairs. So I, I didn't get much time on the nozzle. And he came back and kind of basically forced it out of my hand. Uh, and I was happy to give it up, too, because I was going to go try to get the rest of the search done. Um, and... So they put some water on it. I, I scooted in right behind them and I went to go pop the back window um, that was next to the window that I saw fail. If you can envision a window in the throat of the building, there's one right next to it that was in the living room. And I was, I leaned up over the couch and hit it with the hook and kind of had to you know, kind of hunker back down again because now they're getting a bunch of water on the fire and it's starting to steam out. Um, so I really wanted to get some of that heat out of there so I can, Again, I have all the whole time in my head, I'm thinking this thing's in the cock loft. And, the, and I think it was either the shift the day before or like two days before we had a, a pretty good fire on, um, on the north end of the city where the fire was on floor one, lapped up in a tube, got into the attic, and basically they ran this unchecked kind of a garden apartment and just lost the, a good size of that building's roof. So I had that kind of in my head. It's like, man, I don't want to this is going to be embarrassing if we lose two apartment buildings in, you know, in a week. So uh, as soon as we got knocked down, I started trying to, you know, pull some ceiling because I'm, I'm concerned about how much fire we have in that, that cock loft above us. And the, I mean, the engine officer is like, Hey, you want me to give you a hand pulling ceiling? And I was like, I wanted to say, yeah, but I couldn't, my pride wouldn't let me say, yeah. I was like, Nope, Nope, I'm good. But I've, you know, I was like, shit, man, I should have bought another hook. I should have bought two hooks. This one is, <laughs> I don't, I don't feel so hot right now, but I just, you know, I finished the search and then start, you know, trying to get some windows out and um and, and pull as bunch as much ceiling as we could because I, you know, with that smoke condition I saw in that other wing of the building, uh, I knew it was 
it was up there. And, you know, the outside team, they went straight to the roof. They, I think the officer got eyes on the back and saw there was a big construction pit, you know, a big, big hole for um, a tower crane in the back. So they're building a, uh, another apartment building or something. So, you know, ventilator search was off the table. Uh, egress ladders were off the table because it was just a giant hole on the back. So uh, those, those guys went straight to the roof. And I think that's what really caught off the fire from, uh, burning that roof off because they they got up there and then the, you know there's a, some a cell phone video footage and you can hear the guys setting the outriggers out pretty early um so they that was kind of an indication of how quick they got to the roof and got the thing opened up and and cut off the fire from you know going around that u-shaped building and just having total control of that cock loft you know and i i, I failed to mention it so when i made entrance in the unit my the officer you know, with the door being open and the conditions that were uh, what they were in the hallway, he made a decision to search that public hallway back to that outside window to that wall because we've found a fair amount of people, you know, um, in that public hallway. So he, it was good heads up on him. He, you know, I made it into the unit and he, he finished the search in that hallway real quick to that dead end portion of the hallway where people get kind of, uh, they'll, they'll try to make it out to the fire escape or try to get turned around trying to make, find the stairs. And they, uh, so he, he searched that area and then got to the fire unit door at the same time I was bringing the victim out. So he assisted with removing the victim from there and then came and joined me and helped me pull some ceiling. Nice. That makes sense on uh, what the second half was doing. But yeah, that's, that's basically what happened. We just kind of a uh, things lined up where, you know, we're, we're right down the street from the firehouse. The engine truck and chief all show up at the same time, adequate staffing on all pieces and, you know, pretty combination, you know, guys getting the line in the position. And it wasn't an easy stretch, you know, where the stairs were located uh, from the, from the entrance, you know, they had to back 180 degrees back up another set. So it was kind of a longer stretch and not an easy stretch. So a combination of teaming the engines up, got early, got water on the fire pretty quick. And um, luckily, man, I, I mean, really luck, luck has a lot to do with it, but uh, luckily I heard her, because I, I, as soon as I heard her, I changed directions and went the other way and found her right, right there. And, and I think, you know, one of the reasons why I think is, I know that probably listeners are listening and hearing me describe the conditions and maybe want to call bullshit. But uh, if I would have seen the cell phone video footage and known where she was found in relation to the fire coming out of three windows, uh, I would have said, yeah, she's dead, no doubt. But um, she survived. The, the medics got her, tubed her right away. She spent a few weeks in the hospital and, and she's out and she lived. And I think part of, a big part of the why she lived is I think she pulled the, uh, like a little futon kind of cushion or mattress kind of on top of her. Was, she had something on top of her that was kind of heavier that was shielding her from a lot of the heat that was coming in rolling over her head. So I think that really factored in and, and you know, the visibility was probably pretty decent, like maybe a foot, a foot and a half off the ground. Um, and like I said, what, you know, looking at the cell phone footage, you had uh, two windows on the Charlie side and one window inside the throat that were venting fire. So, you know, the visibility wasn't, you had some ventilation going, which, which helped. And I think she shielded herself because I, I remember kneeling on, like, like I said about, it felt like a lot of debris on the floor and I didn't feel her, but I, I was on something. So I think she was kind of shielding herself from the heat and which might've helped. She did have like significant burns to her face neck and that's part of the reason why the medics dropped the tube in her right away because they knew she had some um in, you know some 
some burns through her airway. That that did the trick of uh, dropping that tube in quick right away and getting getting her right to the hospital, which was right down the street too, which all factored in. Yeah, the way you described this reminds me, and I think we started talking about this one after, uh, I think it was the first Scrabs podcast, second one with DJ Stone and having the uh, having the, the victim um, using a board uh, to, to shield oh, yourself yeah, yeah. while why the fire yeah. was venting over. Yeah, he, Sounds, that's a good man there, Stone. Yeah, I, I remember listening to that same thing. He was kind of, She was kind of shielding herself with that. Uh, it was that vacant building, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Uh, what? What information did you guys have initially? Did you have victims trapped? Did you have an idea of what apartment was on fire or anything? Yeah, we knew. Well, I knew it was a top floor fire. And um, listening to the tapes after, I think the lieutenant on the engine got some information from somebody uh, while they were making the stretch because he made a transmission to the chief that there's a report of a victim and I didn't catch it at all. And, uh, you know, and I, I haven't been experimenting with earpieces or anything like that, but I swear I probably catch only 70% of the traffic it seems like. And I, that's one of the, my weaknesses, but I, so I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't hear anything about a report of a victim until yeah, they were making the stretch and I missed that transmission. How big was she? And then how did you move her? Uh, she wasn't, she was pretty small. I, I um, never really got a good eye on how big she was, but she wasn't, she wasn't heavy, but I was definitely smoked after moving her that 15 feet. And I think part of that was just having the way I had to stay low and drag her um, as opposed to kind of getting up on your, you know, duck walking kind of and, and leaning back is a lot easier. But, um, and I think that just the heat kind of zapped some energy, but if she was a bigger person, I would have had to have some help getting her out. I mean, I was, uh, I was working pretty good and I, I never, like I said, I never saw her after I never saw her outside of the fire building. So she was already gone. So I never really got a good sense, but I bet she was, you know, average to below average in weight. Uh, don't quote me, but I think she was like maybe in her fifties or sixties, you know, not, not a hundred percent. And you mentioned arm drag. Uh, did the debris give you any hard time or anything or was, yeah, you know, I think, I mean, I'm sure that was a factor, but I, I do remember my feet slipping, like kind of like rolling off of stuff, like trying to get traction and, and kind of like kicking, like moving debris more than moving us, right? Like I couldn't get good firm footing because of the how much stuff was on the ground. Yeah, and then I think it was just awesome that passing it off to another company. I think that's something people overlook. Uh, number one, you're gassed by getting there, but then number two, you know where you searched already, so you can pick up yeah, that. Absolutely. Uh, typically, the nozzle person wouldn't give up their nozzle at all. Like they would not be the ones that would remove, um, or at least we encourage them not to, right? Like, they, you know, stay uh, focused on getting water on the fire and the people behind them, they, you know, they, they can take the line or they can take the, you know, the victim out. But uh, we try to encourage, you know, just an organization for the nozzle person not to, not to put the nozzle down for, for anything. But um, I was happy that the way it worked out, I'm glad it worked out because, I would have handed them off to the next person in line, but um, yeah, it was a, uh, it definitely helped on, I could pick up right where I went right back to that, where that couch was on that kind of that wall that was in the throat area and just picked up the search there, searched the kitchen to search, hit the bathroom um, and then pulled a bunch of ceiling to the yeah. point where I wanted to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the awareness to listen, you know, we miss radio traffic all the time, but it's sometimes you got to shut up and hold your breath 
to try to listen. Yeah. That's so cool that you ended up hearing the cough. Yeah. I mean, I think that ultimately is what saved her life is she made, she was, she made that noise. Cause I was, I, like I said, I was heading in the other direction and I had already passed over on the first pass, which was kind of a eye opening. It was like, man, I, I missed her on the first kind of pathway, that first uh, sweep of that area. And I didn't pass her by much. Like when I heard the voice or the cough, the sound, I only had to take, you know, a couple, couple shuffle steps back to that area, but I would have missed her if she didn't make that noise. No doubt. I would have kept going. Do you have an idea time-wise what it was from arrival to the victim out? Yeah. And it, uh, cause we had a, a report, in-house and an internal report on it like we do on a lot of like any significant incidents or any injuries or you know whatever multiple arms we we publish a uh, report and from the fire alarm center it's 1519 from dispatch 1522 arrival of the first engine truck and chief victim found at 1525 and then at um, 1531 they called for a 211 so 12 minutes they called for a second alarm and, uh, yeah, that's pretty much the timeline. Well, nice work. I appreciate you uh, being willing to share the story. I think there's so much that can be uh, learned from real-life accounts. And uh, if we're not hearing real-life accounts, people are just making stuff up. So, very good. Anything else you want to share about this or uh, what we're missing on grabs or anything? Um, I got to look through my notes here. I was uh... – I think some of the critical pieces was like just having a, a good understanding of some the layout, a little bit of the units, you know, just, you know, I know that we don't go to, no one goes to enough fires um, and just trying to exercise that, uh, that brain on like understanding where the bedrooms are and buildings, understanding where the stairs are and how to get to them quick. And, 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 you know, just trying to undress the building from the outside or um, I think that, I, when I recognized that that hall continued for another 15 feet, I knew that told me where the bedroom was for that unit. So I knew that, you know, to, when I go into the unit, to head right, and that's where I'm going to find the, the bedroom. And that's usually my, our goal is to get to the bedrooms first, get to the stairs, get to the bedrooms, you know. And I think that uh, that was a, a, a nice indicator. Like, as opposed to if that door was all the way at the end of the hallway, out, all the way to that outside wall, then I would head in the opposite direction to try to get to the livable space in the in the unit. Um, I think that's overlooked in a training a lot of times, and I think that contributed to me kind of knowing which way to head when I got in there in, in a, you know, limited visibility environment. Um, yeah, that's, I guess that's it, man. Just understanding the, you know, the limitations of the, the tools you're bringing and having that, having that can absolutely made the difference. If I didn't have the pump can in there, I wouldn't have been able to make it as far as I did inside. And if I didn't make it that far, she wouldn't have come out. So, you know, I was always searching with a can and, you know, sometimes like at a, at a single family, we'll, we'll always search with a can, but, you know, maybe we'll stage it in the hallway, you know, and, and not bring it into the, you know, individual units, but we we're pretty disciplined about always searching with a can and that absolutely made the difference in this fire. I would have, you know, meeting with fire at the door and not having a way to push it back and get a search in, you know, that, that would have been definitely a, a no go situation, right? I would have had to wait for the engine and, you know, I, you know, and maybe she would have made it out, you know, on a, you know, I, searching after waters on the fire is a, a, usually a lot harder too with visibility getting kind of, banked down and steamed out it's a little bit harder to search 
Um, so if you can still kind of get that search before the engine, you know, where it's still kind of thermal, that layering is still pretty, pretty nice where you have a good foot or so or a foot and a half of visibility on the floor. I think that that can make all the difference, I guess, is my point. A long-winded way of saying bring the pump can with you. Excellent stuff. Well, again, we appreciate you sharing the story. Uh, to all the listeners, if you make a grab or assist, alive or deceased, please go to www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com and take a short survey. This information is for us, by us, and updated real time. If you want to share the story of your grab on a podcast, reach out to me, Grant Schwalbe, Justin McWilliams, or Nick Ledeen. Uh, you can share your name and department name, or we can keep that anonymous. Anonymous, uh, Easy for me to say. Uh, but we just want to share as many of these as we can. Uh, but again, I appreciate you sharing the story. And uh, until next time. Thanks.